0: Hello and
1: welcome to Coach Cash by England Football Learning, the coaching podcast that brings you insight from people across the game. Today we're chatting to Chris Day, an assistant coach for the England women's deaf team, to discover his journey so far, his advice for those coaching players with disabilities and to get his insight into the para and disability football formats. Well, hi Chris, welcome to Coach Cash, welcome to the show, how are you?
2: I'm very good, thank you. I've heard both of your dulcet tones on several other episodes, so looking forward to chatting. (laughs) (laughs)
0: thank you very much very nice to hear someone's (laughs) listening
2: Um,
0: and thank you for joining us can we make a start by finding out a little bit about your role and just kind of paint a picture of what it is that you do
2: of course louise so i have many hats like lots of football coaches so i work for the fa same as yourselves basically main job is assistant coach of the england women's team that you would be interested in today so with on the deaf side so on the power pathway also work as a talent ID specialist, so supporting players with disabilities on the power pathway coming up, identifying players, seeing the playing environments that they're in, where they are, if it's the correct environment also run a post-education program at Hayward Seath, which is near Brighton, so post-16 foot salon football program. Also work with FA Education on designing um, a course that's coming out on coaching disabled footballers and also run a grassroots team as well.
1: <laughs> very busy. Very, very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Thank you very much for that, Chris. And and But just before we kind of discover more about yourself and those experiences, as this is a coaching podcast, coaches could be on the way to training while tuning in to this Uh, so we always like to give them a bit of good advice at the top of the show
0: really yeah we like to call this the arrival activity just to warm you up so we're going to give you 30 seconds and we'd like you to give us as many top coaching tips as you can in those 30 seconds are you up for the challenge
2: well up for it
0: okay I've got a bit of music to go with it so when that music starts you can begin
2: so number one for me same as several of our other guests have said is enjoy it Listen and observe in your sessions. Be inclusive, which I think I can talk about a bit later. Use the step method, which Paul Holder mentioned on one of your podcasts. Expect mistakes, yours and the players as well. Use visual tools where possible. Uh, matching bib colours to magnet colours, for example, as well. Watch other sports and formats of the game. Be a lifelong learner and have other interests outside football as well. It's always a very good tip.
1: Wow. Brilliant.
0: He, <laughs> was, he was listening when he, when
1: he told us he was
0: listening. He has been listening and also really good tips there. Thank I absolutely you. love that. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the
1: plugs for the other
0: episode yeah. as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: all right.
1: Yeah, brilliant top tips. Well, we'll start off, as you'll know, uh, with uh, we always tend to ask our guests uh, first off was kind of like, what was your first experience of football like?
2: So I grew up in Leeds, which is a bit of a football mad city, and I'm sort of a, a Leeds fan as well. So my first experiences were playing football at school. I was a, a pretty good player, even though I say so myself, I'm sure everybody does. Um, <laughs> but lots of street football, which I think is, is a big thing that's maybe missing nowadays. Lots of tennis ball at school. You know, we didn't weren't allowed a football, so we took a tennis ball in and that allowed us to play small-sided games, learn lots of skills and stuff. So went into playing for the school team, you know, lots of local teams as well did okay but kind of dropped away from football probably in my 20s I think and then didn't start playing football again until in my 30s and I started playing small-sided football so a little bit of foot sale lots of sort of power league things so six aside five aside seven aside and then back to a little bit 11 aside in my 40s unbelievably and played until I was 48 when I ruptured my ACL uh, so uh, into a not very illustrious career as many would say
0: very busy and very varied it, it was it?
2: definitely varied and I think that's one thing that I take into my coaching nowadays is how variety of formats and numbers and experiences. And that's where the learning and the magic takes place, I think, as we all know.
1: Yeah. You mentioned your coaching there and taking some of that experience that you had of, of playing into your coaching. Can you tell us when your interest in coaching actually started and how did you get involved?
2: Yeah, very much so. And hopefully like a lot of your listeners, it was through grassroots football. So my journey started coaching my eldest daughter when she was around five. So 19 years ago, my coaching career, if you want to call it that, started running a grassroots girls team for maybe four or five years, which is you know real eye opener. I didn't know much about coaching. I'm not going to lie, um, and gradually kind of seeped my way into coaching courses, a level one, and then the ones that opened my eyes the most were the youth modules. So I think a lot of people mentioned that on various podcasts and things that that was inspirational to have a look at how environment and you know players' maturation age and things like that would impact their ability. That wasn't really something I'd ever thought about. Then kind of dropped into doing my son's team, which I still run now. So I've run them since they were under six school team and they're now under 16. Um, And alongside that kind of fell into coaching as a career. So working in community scheme at Brighton for seven years and then working with the FA on disability talent pathways and various other roles. So, yeah, it was not something I ever expected to happen. But I think the good thing is for your listeners is that, you know, this could be a career or pathway into something.
0: Taking you back to kind of when you did first start coaching, you mentioned that you you didn't know that much about it. What was your first experience of coaching like?
2: It was a bag of balls on a, a muddy field in Brighton, um, which might still happen occasionally, but yeah, it was in at the deep end and I had no idea how young players learn, how they behave, what their objectives were to come to the session. So it was very much, I used to laugh when I heard that, you know, there was something where results didn't count because, you know, you didn't use to record results. That was before I started coaching. I thought, what a ridiculous idea. And gradually the penny dropped. Oh, okay, right. I see why. It's actually about <laughs> development in the long term. So it's, it's for, yeah. for myself, I you know, I always say to coaches, be a lifelong learner and, you know, I'm still learning today and, and, you know, we always get things wrong. But that for me was a real pivotal moment around actually the players are going to develop at different rates, different ages, you know, different heights they are, you know, how they their ability on the ball is going to be different based on those things and how that changes over time. And that's something as coaches I think we need to be really conscious of. I know a lot of the people on your podcast have said about, you know, be, be aware of the player and the individual. It really is a key thing that so if you know that player's journey, whereabouts they are, where they're heading possibly, although we can never have a you know, full understanding of that, but whereabouts they are in their journey at the moment will really determine what you do with the session. And particularly on the disability side, being aware of what a player can do as well is really key.
1: Looking back at your coaching experiences, what would you say you enjoy most about it?
2: Um, Long-term development. So I've worked in academies as well. I used to work in the girls' academy at Brighton and really enjoyed it developing players. But I always felt a little bit sad that you only had those players for one, possibly two years with a two-year RTC programme. With the Power Pathway, I've found that we can have players, we can find them 10, 11, you could be still involved in their journey at senior level 10 years later. And that's a real gift, I think, you know, as a coach, to be able to be that involved with somebody's development.
0: Yeah, definitely. And must be really just nice to kind of see the development happen in front of your eyes and kind of how it affects people and their path?
2: Yeah, incredible story is that one of the players currently in the England women's deaf team, I've coached at every level. I actually found her playing in a school hall when she was mm-hmm. 11 in Burgess Hill near Brighton and and talent I did as a deaf player, got in touch with the school. So our journeys in many ways have been quite parallel. So I coached her at a talent hub then a regional centre and a national centre. And, and now, you know, I'm involved in the senior team, as is she. So there's moments like that. I don't think that would normally happen in a mm-hmm. mainstream talent environment. So it's been incredible. And with other players as well, seeing her how their journey's been affected in a really positive way by discovering that there is an alternative pathway out for them.
0: Sounds amazing that kind of the reward inside of that must be lovely. Can you think of what key attributes and skills you think make a transformational coach?
2: yeah I think there's lots of different things I think patience and understanding is really good I think you know whether you're working in grassroots football you're still going to be a transformational coach the best thing for me and I say this all the time because I get asked quite a lot you know it must be amazing working with these players at international level and it is but the best thing for me is when I bump into someone in Brighton who I coached 10 or 15 years ago and they come and say hello and it's like a oh you know I used to remember when you did this and it was lovely if they crossed the road it wouldn't be great <laughs> but the fact that they come and say hello you know that's what you want that's transformational coaching that you can have and effect on someone's life in a positive way and there's a really interesting story that um, my son's a keen basketball player as well as being a keen footballer and his basketball coach a couple of years ago was a lad that I coached football from when he was five and he can I sort of recognized him he came over and said hello and it was like oh you know really used to love it you know when you coach it didn't you know go down a football pathway but for him basketball pathway and he's now Mm. coaching so even just to you know maybe give some messages or some kind of like knowledge along the way is fantastic for me to be able to see that.
0: What attributes do you think that you kind of showed to create those bonds and those that interest that people have had?
2: I think it's actually showing an interest in the individual and, and that can be in terms of, you know, how's your day been, you know, what football team do you support are the kind of classic ones, aren't they? Showing interest to players, but also being interested in their development. So whether that's academically, you know, how's school going, but particularly if you're in a sports environment, how do we want to help you here? What do you need? And when can I give it to you? And one of the key things for coaches when you move up the pathway, if you are looking at elite level is to be honest with players. If you show that buy-in that I'm really interested in your development, when you do need to have a tough conversation with them, which does have to happen sometimes at elite level around performance level, it makes things a lot easier. And it's that honesty, I think, that's really key to good coaching right throughout the levels.
1: That's really great, really great insight there for for everybody listening. Of course, of the key things that impact players as well. Taking in, everything you've learned so far, what advice would you give to your younger self then to prepare them for stepping into the world of coaching for the first time?
2: I think just go and explore other sports, watch and learn. And that lifelong learner thing, again, it's something that we ask our players to be, isn't it? That To, to invest in their development, to go and try things. So I think if you're a young coach now, the best thing to do is go and try lots of different formats of the game, coach male players, coach female players, coach small-sided coach 11 v 11 go and watch basketball and hockey now what are the returns some of them won't be obvious but some of them might be those little key bits of golden nuggets that we're looking for in our coaching and really enjoy it as well so show that passion for your development that you're going to show for your players development as well can you
1: give us a little bit uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit uh, at the intro but can you give us now a little bit of an insight into your journey from starting out to the role that you've got now chris
2: yeah, sure. So um, I worked at Brighton. So my first role in football was at Brighton as a development officer in disability. I'd, I'd found that disability sport and football was something I was really passionate about. I found that maybe my personality, I could affect people, but also that buy-in of that long-term development worked for me as well. So it's always a two-way process with your coaching. Do you enjoy it and get as much out of it? So I started volunteering, doing football coaching at a day centre, just around the corner from where we live. I saw the guys and it was a pan disability environment. So it was a mixed disability group. So there were some players with Down syndrome, some of of him were deaf, some had autism. And I remember my first session just thinking, wow, there's a lot to take on here. But gradually it was, oh, okay, this might work for this player. This player might need something else. This player is a visual learner. They're going to have to get the whiteboard out and play with the magnets and actually see and and be tactile with it and this player wants to be refereeing which is fine as well so you're a juggler I think as a coach you've got lots of things going on and I found that from a challenge point of view working in disability sport was really challenging in a good way it worked for me so I then went to Brighton and did development sessions and stuff and got involved with running a talent hub there so on their pathway so within the the power pathway the talent hubs are like kind of like a local level so it's a contact base that where local clubs run for players who are on the pathway to come into a couple of times a month and see so i ran that for a while and the fa sort of said oh you know that one's really successful would you like to come in get involved in our regional program to so started coaching there and that was seemed to go very well got invited up to the national program and then on that to work with development squads and then i've been with the senior squad since the end of last year so it's not a journey i ever ever saw myself undertaking it's you know it's not a happy accident either I've worked hard to do that but at the same time you know I'm aware that there's always things that I can learn so put myself in situations where I have to go and coach in front of people who are better than me and say what have I got right here how can you help me so you know it's it, even from a grassroots point of view it's still that thing there's always people who will be able to deliver that session a bit better so go and find that person and I think this is saying that if you're the cleverest person in the room you're in the wrong room which I really like <laughs> so that's always been my ethos there's another room somewhere I've got to get in it
1: what advice would you give to someone who wanted to follow a similar journey to? to what you've had
2: get involved. So within disability sport and disability football, there's always chances to volunteer, um, some paid roles as well. County FAs are really good. There's um, pan-disability leagues called Ability Counts that are run throughout the country, which are once a month. There's often junior teams and adult teams where it'd be good to go and watch and see what it involves and and get that challenge. How could I help here? Could it be as an assistant coach? You know, Could it be as a player as well? There's lots of players out there with disabilities who maybe aren't playing and might want to coach. That might be a way into coaching for them as well. But just give it a go and go and watch. And, and see what it looks like and see, is this for me? You know, we'd love to have you involved, I'm sure.
1: Now, Chris, when this episode initially goes out, it is Disability Awareness Day. Now, football is a game for all, and we believe that everyone should have the choice to be able to play mainstream football wherever possible. Uh, but we do also realise that in some cases, some players may be better provided for in specific formats of the game. So we were wondering, could you give us an insight into the disability formats that are available, please?
2: Yeah, of course, no problem at all, Jamie. So yeah, I mean, I think that the message is mainstream football and grassroots football should be as accommodating as possible to players with a disability. We realise that's not always the case due to location, number of teams, the formats that are out there. So first of all, is there a grassroots team that would be suitable? If not, is there a pan disability league locally where you can have contact time with coaches? You can go and play on a Sunday once a month as well in a competitive environment. You know, It looks like football. It is football. It's the same. And then also alongside that, you could still play what we call impairment specific football. So a few examples might be, there's a partially sighted league nationally. There's cerebral palsy league. There's power chair football. There's all sorts of different formats, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, deaf football as well. Um, just all these kind of games where there's slight adaptations the formats are maybe a bit different so blind football as well some people may have seen in the Paralympics previously which is a a version of futsal almost so the 5v5 games 7v7 with CP 4v4 with power chair hopefully there's something for everyone but the key thing is go and find that opportunity so county FA is always a really good starting point to find what's available locally.
0: And how would you say is the best way for players and coaches to get involved with disability football?
2: yeah i think that the county fa route louise is always seems to be the best way they'll have a list of all the local leagues the local affiliated teams whether they're grassroots and they have a disability section or whether a pan disability team as well um, the fa main website has a lot of information on there as well so that's always the start point point. and um, if you have a look on twitter facebook support groups as well some payment specific support groups for parents often have details of sessions so and from a coaching point of view speak to your local coaches is there any teams locally here that i could get involved with usually that's the best font of knowledge
0: Are there any courses that you'd recommend for coaches specifically for disability football?
2: Yes, absolutely. So we're due to launch the brand new Coaching Disabled Footballers course. Um, That'll be over the summer at some point. And alongside that, there'll hopefully be some CPD, so continual professional development for coaches to attend within their county FAs, which would be a great opportunity to go along, have a go at sessions, see it explained, how you might use the step process and mirror sessions as well. So parallel delivery for different groups and adapting what's in front of you.
0: What top tips do you have for coaches who are working or looking to work in disability football?
2: So I think top tips would be, again, that lifelong learner. I go on about this all the time. So go and observe different sessions. So go and find out about if you do have a player within your group who has a certain impairment, find out a bit about that impairment, speak to the player through the parent and the carer if you need to, but find out what is their needs. How can I help that player? What works best for them? So something we always do, I think, is that, you know, we just need to make sure we don't assume. So I don't want to assume you can't do this. I want to actually see what you can do. So if I give you a ball, show me what you can do. I okay, how does that work for you? So some players with cerebral palsy, for instance, may struggle on one side of their body to manipulate the ball, but they may have found a different way of adjusting as well. But if you can adapt the session based on what you see through that series of conversations, and I think, I don't know who said it, but it's a famous coaching quote that, coaching is actually a series of conversations and that's what it is your technical detail is key and how you set up the session is key but actually those conversations around that with the players with the parent and carer are really good for you to get that knowledge and that's how we all learn right i learned that little bit this is what Jamie likes in a session this is what he needs this is what Louise needs and then I'm differentiating maybe what's in front of me yeah
0: that sounds like a really good way of approaching it and really interesting to think about how you could how it could expand your coaching by thinking that way
1: yeah brilliant now we do have international sides in some formats of the game so could you tell us a little bit more about the para formats chris
2: yeah, absolutely. So currently got seven para-teams. So we've got blind men's uh, with the format of that is 5v5. You may have seen it with the sort of slightly heavier futsal ball. That's a sound ball played off sides. So it's played off like borders on the side. The goalkeeper fully sighted. All four outfield players blind. So with blindfolds as well. So it's very interesting. Again, if you watch on YouTube, there's loads of amazing clips of teams playing. So we've got a successful national men's side of that. Brand new women's side that's just launching that hopefully be in the summer of the international blind games in Birmingham. They should be competing men's cerebral palsy team as well deaf men's team, deaf women's team that I work with, partially sighted men's team and power chair team. Now, power chair as a format is mixed. So that can be for male or female players as well. The reason we don't have female formats of all those versions of the game at the moment is just that it's so new for a lot of those formats. So hopefully over time, they'll be added in. So CP women's team possibly to come as well at some point. So that'll be gradually the expansion of the the para game. And within that, all those teams play international. So European tournaments play World Cups as well. There's the Deaf Olympics for some deaf sides as well the Paralympics for the blind team so incredible opportunity to go play elite international sport maybe that some of those players never realized they would be able to do.
0: Yeah sounds very exciting. What's the pathway like for players who would want to get involved?
2: So within those formats of the game, we have talent hubs. I think I mentioned earlier, we've got 15 of those around the country. So they are mainly for CP, deaf and partially sighted players at the moment because blind and power chair being slightly different formats of the game, they're a bit more specialist. So um, if you are in one of those formats of the game and you are interested, so county FAs, again, would have the details for the talent hubs go along, give it a go. It may be the players actually not already playing disability football and that's fine. They're playing high level mainstream, which we do have a lot of players doing as well. And it's a parallel pathway. So the word para actually means parallel, which is something I think a lot of people miss, but it means an alternative pathway to run alongside. It may be that that's your individual format of choice running forward. So for instance, within the blind game, most blind players probably not going to access mainstream football. But like they could be coaches, so we, we don't know that, so we don't want to make assumptions. But it's a parallel pathway to allow players an opportunity to play international sport as well as play mainstream football, grassroots or pan disability.
1: What advice would you have for anybody who's working at the high end or almost like in your role, I suppose, like in, in, in the power
2: formats? Be (laughs) open-minded. You know, that's the key thing. So we had a call this morning, myself and Sammy, who's the head coach, as a bit of feedback from our camp that we had at the weekend at St. George's Park and ours was around communication. So the big thing working with deaf players is making sure that everything communication-wise is understood and you are doing everything you can to get that D-side across in the best way. So we have... Two signers with us at all times, one's working. But so even things like the height of the whiteboard is really important. So the height of the whiteboard is on a similar level to your face. So your face can be lip red at the same time as the player is watching the board or watching the signer. So little details like that. So having the board on the floor would cause players to have to have to do two or three things at once which is really difficult so in terms of cognitive processing what we're trying to do is the world's best so we're trying to make sure that the delivery that we give to the players and information is key so even during the game the players have to take their hearing aids out so there's no aids during the game so the information that we give at the start of the session and during our training games when the players can have their hearing aids in has to be spot on so it's almost like we talk about you know let's be player led we actually really are player led during the game so we can make the substitutions we can give little bits of information on the whiteboard when the players are off the pitch or off the foot sale court but actually during the game it's down to the players and that's quite a key bit of information that we're having to make sure that it's got it got in you know that has that information got in It's check check for the understanding is it there what do I need to do and that again would would echo within every all the players that we work with.
0: Really interesting to hear all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So yeah, that's really interesting. Are there any upcoming tournaments that people should be aware of?
2: Yeah, so the International Blind Games this summer in Birmingham. So our blind teams, the men's and women and the partially sighted team will be out there as well. I think the deaf men's have their European tournament as well coming up. Uh, deaf women's, we've got our World Cup at the end of the year, hopefully in Brazil. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, I say this to people all the time. They say, what's your end of year plan? So I'm working towards a World Cup in Brazil and it's like, what (laughs) is you know I mean and as myself as a coach having come through grassroots that's a bit of a pinch me moment you know and it's something I never forget that you know I've had to work hard to get the opportunity my players have had to work hard to get that opportunity as well let's make the most of it so it's like you know hopefully could be talking to you maybe for a catch up next year and you know with World Cup in our hands who knows yeah
1: we'd love to hear that. Oh, I absolutely hope so and I mean there's so much to, to look forward to there and it'll be good just for everyone to, to kind of keep an eye out and, and look out for updates from so many tournaments just this year
2: mm. yeah and I think you know if people are on Twitter or Instagram there's regular updates so England football England learning always put up some stuff so we had our recent camp we did like a warm weather camp out in Tenerife so coaches may have seen that may have not but there's often a lot of stuff on the FA main account about that so it was a week's fitness camp all the power teams went out there which was just incredible and a lot of the teams haven't really worked together before it, it, they're slightly separate from each other but we've started coming on board so it's like a team para concept so where do we share learning how do we share learning as coaches so we had a coach development couple of days last week with the coaches from different formats and we're talking to the uh, Colin Gordon who's the head coach of the power chair team and the learning that his team's got compared to the work that we're doing is really similar and we talked to other coaches around how they work with their sports psychologists their strength and conditioning coaches so you know real uh, unbelievable share shared learning saying it right across all the pathway at the moment. It's incredible.
1: How have you found that experience? I say plenty of shared learning to, to take away
2: always learning (laughs) always learning Jamie that's the thing it's like you know I'm writing up some notes at the moment from last weekend around you know the the classic what went well even better if so you know even at international level that's what we're looking at how did we get the message across from training we had a fixture on the Saturday we played Middlesbrough under 19 team men's team our women's played so it was a big physical challenge what did we do well you know what were the areas that we work on looking at the video clips as well how did we do in terms of data returns as well so there was live data came back from the players when did we start to fade so all those things from myself are all quite new so how I add it all in you know so which bits are important and as a coach again a good learning message there's always lots of information in front of you You need to filter out the bits that are key for you and that takes time to understand that because otherwise we'll end up with a million sessions so in terms of your session planning as well we can all go and watch a session you know or another coach deliver but is it relevant for my players you know what's the learning here
0: You've said that during your career you've had a couple of talent spotting roles. First for the England women's talent pathway and now for the para pathway. What things are you looking out for in a player to determine if they have the potential to go onto the pathway? And what skills and attributes should coaches be looking out for in their players?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, yeah, I worked with the mainstream women's team doing talent ID in the youth development phase for a while, which is really interesting and um, amazing pathway. And I think you saw the success of the Euros in the summer, you know, and that's only going to get better, hopefully more players. But I think it's always about with elite players you're looking for that attitude. Once you get to the top level often the physicality can be very similar because everybody's had to get that to get there. Maybe in terms of the technique they've got high level technique they've all had to get that to get there but in terms of the ability to apply themselves the sort of psych corner so you know linking back to that four corner model the psych and the social bit. I say this a lot to to players and coaches when they say you know well how do you, you pick players to go on camps and things like that. A, a lot of it is around how they cope in a stressful environment. So there's a saying we have comfortably uncomfortable. I don't know if anyone has anyone done that on the podcast yet? Has that come up?
0: I don't think so. I, I feel like I've heard the same Yeah, I don't that, think yeah. anybody's spoken about
2: it. That's all right. I just just check. It. I might have missed that episode if it was. But yeah, it was <laughs> so it's, when you put a player in a match environment, you want them to feel that uncomfortableness that they have with competition, but you still need to support them with that. So it's making a safe place to be stressed, if that makes sense. And that's what game day looks like, doesn't it? We try and replicate training to game day. So does your training look and feel like the game day? So if you're in a grassroots environment and you've got a training session on, is there an opposition which they'll be on Sunday that's probably quite a useful tip there I know a few coaches will mention that in the podcast that you do and is there goals and a way of scoring is it going to be a way of winning and losing how do I react when I'm losing so all those things amplify when you go to elite level because we're dealing with players who may have to come away with us for two or three weeks how are they going to cope if they're not selected, are they going to be amazing around camp? I remember Gareth Southgate mentioned during the Euros that his player of the tournament was Conor Cody. And I often use this when I'm speaking to players and, you know, we'll do the question, who was Gareth Southgate's player of the tournament? And they'll, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, oh, was it you know, Pickford? No, it wasn't Pickford. Was it Kane? No, it wasn't Kane. It was Conor Cody. And I say, how many minutes did he play? Zero. And they're like, how can he play the tournament? I said, because he was there and he was ready to play at his best whenever he was needed. And he was amazing around camp. So they're all the considerations of working at elite level that you're going to need that attitude as a player to be able to be there and perform for your team when you're needed. And if you get injured and you can't go home because you're away, for instance, would you still be there and be supportive for your teammates? Mm -hmm. So I always think that attitude and, and also in the learning environment as well, are they willing to take on feedback and go and apply it? That always makes for an elite player. So when you're looking at talent ID, what is it that they've got? What's their super strength? Is it the technique? And sometimes that can be the super strength. Is it the physicality? But they at elite level, they tend to nullify a little bit unless you're a messy and you have got that phenomenal, unbelievable you know, detailing your technical game. So then what can your super strength be? I'm going to be the best player. I'm going to be the best leader. I'm going to be the best supporter for my team. They're all real strengths alongside those other capabilities that we need.
1: That's a really great insight. And like I say, you mentioned uh, some of the attributes there that players need and it is, it is a team game and it's a difficult role. You mentioned Connor Cody and it's like, is it, it is difficult when the tournament's going on, I imagine, but to have that resilience and that strength to go and be ready and be the best version of yourself, no matter what, that is a strength.
2: Yeah. And resilience is something. What's really interesting is when you're looking at mainstream talent ID and developing players, grassroots or talent ID programs, resilience is something that's often looked to be developed. The one thing that we find within the power pathway is it's often already there because the players may have had quite a difficult journey. So school might not have been the easiest journey. You know, growing up may not have been the easiest journey. So sometimes dealing with failure and disappointment and that resilience that's needed may already be set in the players. Now can how we develop it to actually get it on the court or the pitch to to actually you know fulfill our potential and that's the difficult bit as a coach and a player isn't it? always fulfilling our potential.
1: Now before the show Chris and, and you kind of mentioned it on the show as well you're also a grassroots coach but you also mentioned to us that two players in your team are deaf so we was wondering to support coaches who also work with deaf players in mainstream football settings can you give us some insight into how you make sure that they're included and that their needs are met during training and match day?
2: Yeah great question the key thing is communication with the player that's the first thing how do they want to be communicated with what works best for them no there's never a one size fits all with any player, as you know so with a deaf player are they oral so so do they speak are they sign only are they a mixture of both what do they like what's their preference so the number one thing is always going to be communication for deaf players how can you work with them to get the best out of them so visual aids is a really good one so if you've got that whiteboard Demo on the whiteboard, then demo on the pitch. You can demo, you can get a player to demo. So that's a visual way of learning. Again, I mentioned it earlier, and this will be a big part of the Coaching Disabled Footballers course that's coming out in the summer. Match your magnets up to your bib color it really makes things a lot easier for learning. So I'm not saying go out and buy loads of different bibs and loads of different magnets. But if you've got yellow and blue magnets, which are great for all players, because I think, I don't know if you're aware of Ryan Davis's work, he mentions about you know, colour blindness. So yellow and blue are really good colours. I'm colour myself, as is Ryan. I heard on a podcast that he did. But yellow and blue are really good colours for anyone who's colour They're also really good for anyone who has a visual impairment. But they're really good for everybody. So they work for everybody, but they may be really good for a a small subset of your players. So if you can get that color match, I've got yellow and blue magnets. I've got yellow and blue bibs. Great. I get it. How many coaches do we see? And I see this at high level as well. Say you're yellow on the board, but you're going to be red over there. Or you're blue on the board, but we've only got white bibs. In terms of cognitive processing, if you're talking about Mainstream players, that's difficult. If you're talking about a player with a learning disability, has ADHD or autism or or a cognitive processing difficulty, that's going to be really hard for them to understand even the simplest instruction that you've just given them to be that color over there. I'd find it difficult. So we need to make things as easy as possible. So if we can do that, again, with deaf players, there you go. There's your visual cue. These are your magnets. There's your bibs. And then check understanding. Are we okay here? We've got what? Fantastic. Face well lit at all times. So wherever the direction of the sun is, have it in the coach's face if there's lights have them so you're well lit as well so if the player is lit reading which a lot of deaf players do do then you know that's really helpful for them
0: Some really good top tips there i think that should help
1: coaches yeah really get people thinking uh, thank you for that that was really that's insightful right. and some things that that i'm sure some people might not have even thought of yeah. really
0: so to follow up from that what advice would you give to coaches to ensure their sessions are more inclusive for players with disabilities
2: I think just linking it back, Louise, a little bit about know your players. And again, I know that's been a common theme on your coach cast. And I think, you know, if coaches are going to take some messages away from these coach casts, that's the one thing that seems to run through. Know your players. So know what mm-hmm. their triggers are for performing. You know, know what their triggers are for maybe drifting a little bit in the session, mainstream players, players with a disability. So once we get that knowledge, now you could put that in, in your notes, right? I know that player X, this is their the, what, what really helps them. Okay, so we've got that. This is what they really like. Okay, this is m- what they might struggle with. So how can I adapt my session? So it might be the space is too big for their physical ability. So we'll just narrow the space in, but I may need to have a larger space alongside it for players who can cover that distance. So we can have two sessions running at once, parallel sessions. So everybody's needs are being met. We're not just focusing on one player. If we're dealing with a group, we're focusing on everybody's development. So know your players, get to know the detail around what helps them within the session. So it might be, for instance, top tip here coming up, (laughs) little warning so if you've got partially sighted players so have a consistent lighting in your environment if you can so an indoor session is going to be amazing but not all coaches will work indoors so how can we be consistent so ask the player what bib color works for you what ball color works for you and then have some dome cones so large dome cones that mark out the area really easily so again if you haven't got that there then maybe okay if we get some club money up we've got grassroots money coming in can we just get some larger dome cones because I think that's really going to help Louise in her session here or this might really help Jamie now I've thought about it we still might get problems but it hopefully won't be around that and then we can move on to something else but often it's just that knowledge of what's going to work for the player again the step process linking it back how do we use the space and the task and the equipment so now we're looking at the equipment really well and the number of players if that player's not getting on the ball and we're doing a 5v5 can i do a 3v3 and a 2v2 to get that player on the ball matched up with players who a physical literacy is the same that's great the player's still playing a game we're not telling the player we're doing anything here but it's just actually i want to give you some more time on the ball so i'll just adjust my session accordingly
0: In your opinion, how do we ensure that there are more people with disabilities getting involved in football?
2: I think knowledge. I think things like this are great to get the knowledge out there. Firstly, that there's pathways for elite players, but also that there are grassroots coaches and grassroots clubs out there that are willing to put that effort in. Not all grassroots environments are going to be perfect for everybody. We know that. So find the club that's right for your player, your child or yourself. Now, am I really enjoying this is this the best environment for me maybe there's another club they might be a bit more accommodating they might have someone else who's a bit like me they may have a disability coach that understands or a coach with a disability who has that knowledge so I think it's always for me about spreading the word around this and and actually what we want is football for all that's the key tagline as we know you know we've seen it happen in the women's game as well fantastically and off the back of the euros I think we'll see even more of a rapid expansion of the women's game alongside that you know I think the big push now can be on the disability side so how do we get every playing well it's knowledge it's environmental knowledge it's really being supportive and inclusive and if you have a problem ask That's the key thing. Don't be afraid to ask the player or ask someone else. I'm struggling here. You know, what's the problem? Okay, this might be it. Your area is too big. So the player's already fatigued after 10 minutes. Okay, so if I bring the area in. So it's just that knowledge and that ability to say, well, I might fail here, but I'll adjust my session because of it. And that's my big message always to players. We're going to make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, I'm going to support you. And while we're doing that, we'll probably do a bit of learning within that as well. But I'm going to make mistakes as a coach as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it goes a bit like back to what you were saying about learning from other coaches and kind of, you know, sharing that knowledge between people. And there's things like the England football community that are really good for that. People can go on and ask questions because there's all sorts of knowledge out there from people who are actually doing it at the moment.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Use everything available to you.
0: And finally, before we get
2: into the next section
1: of the show, Chris, do you believe there are more opportunities out there for young players and coaches to get involved in disability football now?
2: Yeah, more and more. And I say the Ability Council Leagues are really successful. Most county FAs run them now, usually Sundays once a month. And you can see everyone from six years old up to, I think, you know, people in their 50s and 60s playing right across the board. And they're, you know, right from inclusive, small-sided games to bigger games as well. So I think as the more knowledge across the game has, you know, crept into it, as coaches, I think you'll see more and more opportunities as well.
1: Right. Well, we are coming up to the end of the show chris but as i just mentioned this is the next section of it and it means it is time for our swift session feature
0: yep so like at the top of the show it's a 30 second challenge this one we're going to ask you to explain to us a session idea in those 30 seconds are you up for that challenge
2: i'm well up for that yep
0: okay so 30 seconds on the clock time starts now
2: Okay, so really simple, and this links into the coaching Disabled Footballers course as part of the CPD. We're going to have a 40 by 20 pitch alongside it, another 40 by 20 pitch. Both of them are going to have end zones, a couple of yards in each end zone. To start off with, you can have the players dribbling around the centre and they can go in the end zone and perform a skill. Next adaptation is we might have a little bit of a post, and you're trying to win the ball off the players. One of the players can go in there and have it as a safe zone now. We'll then add some small goals into the end zone so we can have it as a target zone as well. And if we want, we can use the step process to turn the goals around.
0: Perfect. Just over. Just over. We'll, let you, we'll, we'll let, let, you let, let you have you that. that. <laughs> There's a lot of
2: information in there. We'll let you have on it. The final whistle, <laughs> on the final
0: whistle. Is there anything else that you want to add to that at all?
2: Yeah, so two parallel pitches. So I mentioned earlier about paralleling when you're delivering. So even leave a little space in between for equipment maybe players drinks and a safe timeout zone as well so if players feel they are struggling with the session they can come and have a little drive-by with the coach I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or I'm not really getting this great come and have a little chat with me we'll watch and observe and that little bit of you know control that self-control and mind control for the player to get them back right now I'll go and enjoy it again it's really easy set up and hopefully with the CDF course that we launched in the summer you'll be able to see that live through the county FAs as well.
1: Perfect. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we like that idea uh, for, for your session there. And it's really important, like I say, um, having that safe area in there. Uh, so thank you for mentioning that. And, and thank you very much for, y- for your time, Chris. It's been great having you on, Coach Cash. And it's been brilliant listening to all of your insight. And I'm hoping that people are going to be taking away so much stuff from this episode. We really do appreciate your time. So thank you.
2: No, you're more than welcome. And thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thank you. Well,
2: that was a really good chat with
1: Chris and lots of key points to take away and, and particularly like to make your sessions more inclusive for your players uh, but what were the main highlights for you?
0: Well there was a couple of things but one of the main ones that stood out was being a lifelong learner as a coach so part of that was kind of trying lots of things to develop yourself like opening yourself up to lots of different opportunities and things like coaching in front of people who were better than you in a way to help your development so you can kind of learn from them as well.
1: Yeah, for, for me, as, w- as well as that, and I think I say it on, e- on every episode, there's so many things to take away from these. But for me, it was kind of a mixture of the importance of showing interest in your players to get to know them. You might just be starting off as finding out how they are and developing that connection there. But then going into finding out and really understanding your players in terms of what helps them and how you can adapt your sessions and make sure that their needs are met. Uh, and he kind of mentioned uh, a quote earlier on in the show, uh, that coaching is a. Assist- Series of conversations and I really like that That, so that's something that that I'm going to take away right well that is all we have time for today but don't forget to check out the episode description for the transcription of this episode and for all the links to our platforms there you will be able to click through to the England football community this is where you can post your coaching questions for us to discuss on the podcast or just simply to connect with loads of wonderful coaches
0: Yep, we'd love to help you out with your coaching questions, so please do go and check it out. We'll be back soon with another episode of Coachcast, so if you haven't already, hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. From all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.